Anyways, let's bring in our TSN hockey analyst, Mike Johnson, on this fine, sunny Monday morning in Toronto. And... Johnny, I don't know where we start. Do we start with the cannon? Do we start with the fact that your your energy on the call Friday was just electric? Like, how was your weekend, man? Let's let's just start there. <laughs> My weekend was good. Uh, you know what? I was in Columbus on uh, Friday night. It was a good time. The game was not a great game, but for whatever reason, the the, the broadcast was kind of like a lighthearted, kind of fun broadcast, and at least one, which is always fun to be involved with that. And then uh, I'm in Montreal now. We did a Montreal game yesterday, and I haven't been in Montreal very often this year so it's kind of nice to get back in the sound because it's uh i don't mind much i lived here my mom's from here so it's uh nice and warm so i'm i'm on my way it's an off day because we have chicago tomorrow against montreal i'm going on my way to the tennis court to play a little tennis so it's uh i got no complaints Ooh. whatsoever and my and mikey real quick uh you're talking about kent johnson spray painting a stick so you can't tell exactly where on the black it might have hit so i'm pretty sure there's a rule that goaltenders have to have the knobs of their sticks taped white for that very reason. So there is mm. contrast when they trap a puck underneath it, what's black and what's white. Yeah, I guess so. It's, it's a little bit of a uh, – that is weird then. I guess you would have to – the goaltenders would have to raise a stink about that if that's the case. Right, like, goes like that because players hide their stuff, but we can't. Yeah, I know, but I do know I've, I've been on the ice where like goalies get called to the bench and they quickly have to tape the knob of their stick white again because they forgot. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Like that, that, that to me was one where what the weird part was that it was confirmed though. Like to me, I don't see. I, I could understand because it was called a goal on the ice. If they say inconclusive, when we you know decide yeah. that the goal will stand due to inclusivity, but I, I just or conclusivity. <laughs> I don't <laughs> We're understand. Include all goals. We want all goals included <laughs> yeah. in the NHL. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that's what we want. All goals, right? More scoring. But to me, it just made no sense how that was conclusive evidence that he did not high stick. Because I thought that he did, let alone being like, I don't know. I guess there's no point complaining about it now. The game's over, but kind of is what it is at that point. But, Johnny, that that was a game where, like, they played well on Friday, right? They get the win, nice, good vibes, get the shutout in, in, uh, in Columbus, and they come home. Great first period. And then they kind of take their foot off the gas and play one of the worst periods I've seen them play in a while and end up losing this game. Like, I thought they were past, past this, where they let up against these, these weaker opponents. Well, they're not. Um, I mean, this year they've lost to Anaheim and to Arizona and to Montreal and to Columbus. And, so, and now, remember, those teams are also going to win three or four out of ten games. They're beating somebody, including the best teams in the league, and Tampa's lost to those teams, and Carolina's lost to those teams. Toronto was not alone in that. But because of Toronto's history the last couple of years, it does seem more significant because Toronto places publicly, verbally, great importance on how they play these next, well, now it's three games, but these first five games out of the break because they're all against teams at the bottom of the standings, and they've acknowledged their poor performance over the last couple of years against teams that they feel that they are better than. And so coming off of Friday, like, well, that was a pretty mature performance. Like that wasn't like a team that didn't, you know, chase offense or get frustrated. They just kind of ground out a good win and they get up to nothing in the first. I'm like, well, this is over. Perfect. Nice for Joseph wall. He's going to get a comfortable game. This is really good. And then you're right. It, it's, it's not inexplicable because, I've been on, I've been that guy on the ice, like playing terrible. And you're like, what does it matter with you? How come you're not playing better? And it just, it's not happening. But yeah, I think Toronto would be 
more vexed by that game than most teams would be because they've acknowledged that they want to be so much better, and they've also acknowledged that if they are not, they'll have a hard time shaking off bad losses because of their history as well. Yeah, so how important do you think this next next stretch of, of three hey, games is? It, hey, I know, I don't want to overblow it, right. you got to go three for three. It doesn't matter standing, per se. I mean, I guess Tampa could pass them, actually, so maybe it does matter. But, yeah. you know, in that sense, it doesn't matter. But I think it does matter for kind of the psyche and the morale. And I'm not going to say confidence so much, but just for the psyche of the team to, to win and win comfortably and in Montreal is playing pretty good. They just beat Edmonton yesterday, and they haven't, Edmonton hasn't lost in like 11 games in a row. So it's not going to be easy, but, um, you know, without Austin there, they're a different-looking team. They're, you know, the second line is different. The third line is different. And they're good enough to beat the teams they're playing against. But I do think it is more important than it otherwise should be because of all the stuff we just talked about. Uh, in conversation with Mike Johnson, our TSN hockey analyst, uh, what do you make of Nylander's retaliation penalty? Not something we typically see out of any of those core four guys, but sounds like Sheldon Keith kind of liked it a little bit. Um, I mean, do you think this is something that he wants to see a little bit more of out of you know his, his big boys? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think. You want to see it all the time, but a one-off when it's out of character, you don't mind it so much. Um, you know, I think <laughs> you listen to people, they often crave for somebody from that big four to, to play a little different, to have a slightly different personality, maybe a little twitchier. And so to, to kind of take it on discipline penalty, you don't love it, but to have a guy react emotionally and have that be a physical reaction, you'll live with it as long as it doesn't happen often. Yeah. Okay. Flip side of things, Michael Bunting was having a hard time drawing penalties this weekend, and and everybody loves the way that Michael Bunting plays with emotion. But he he's clearly developed a little bit of a reputation among the officials in the league when it comes to getting the benefit of the doubt. So, yep. how, how does he walk the line now, MJ, going forward here to to maybe get himself back into the good graces of the guys in the stripes? Yeah, it's a, it's interesting, isn't it? And like, yeah. you know, I, obviously, I watch the games very closely. Like, I get why the officials who are human kind of feel the way they do because, like, a lot of times there are fouls that he's, uh, that are being committed on, on Michael and, and they're not being called, and I get why he'd be so frustrated. But there's also moments where, like, you know, smaller fouls, let's say, or, you know, he really reacts strongly to to let everyone in the building know that he has been, um, you know, there should be a penalty there. He thinks there should be a penalty there, and, and that will bother. Like, that would bother the officials. I get that. That would bother me if I was an official. And it happens often enough that it clearly is a reputational thing now. I think what he needs to do, and far be it for me to, to tell Michael Bonte how to play, but if he wants to get this reputation, which I think is a thing, um, off of him, like, I think, one, he's probably got to dial back the verbal yeah. reactions to the officials. Like, and you love the emotion, so it's hard to tell him to do that. It's part of what makes him a good player. But you, got, you can't be screaming and yelling and, and having the whole building know that you're lighting up the ref. Like, you can yell at the ref in ways where the entire building doesn't know that. But when he, when he does it, skating off the ice and screaming and yelling and jumping up and down on the bench, like, they don't like that. So that's, that's one part of it. And I think the other part of it is maybe just when you're fouled, like, look, try to play through it as opposed to, let them know you're being fouled. Like, they'll see it, and they will call it, 
But if you're getting hooked, like you don't have to fall, like work to stay on your feet, and they will see that you're working to stay on their feet, and they may end up calling a penalty anyways. Um, and just do that for a little while, and I think that would just calm the waters and get him back to kind of the same as everyone else. Like when he's fouled, he gets to call more often than not, but not always. And when he's not fouled, they just kind of, or when he, you know, they don't kind of not call something because is he making it up? Is he embellishing? Is he accentuating? Whatever word you want to use. I think that would probably be my advice to him on that. Yeah, and I, I think I kind of saw there was an instance there in, in I think it was the second or third period where he was going in after a pocket, took a pretty big hit, could have been maybe some sort of interference call. And mm-hmm. I know the crowd was really giving it to the officials, but he did get up and just, you know, quietly skate to the bench. So maybe he does realize himself, and I'm sure people have talked to him, Sheldon and whatnot, saying, hey, the, this can't continue. You're never going to get the calls. Right. But, like, when you get cut in the face, you're like, look at my face. Like, you you know, I'm bleeding. Oh, Carlo last week, call, yeah. right? Like, I, I get the, you know, sometimes it seems too much, but sometimes it almost seems warranted. When you when you feel like you're not getting it because of your reputation, and it's very clearly a penalty, it would be infuriating for sure. But it's it's something he's gonna have to manage because it's the thing that now is affecting his performance and, and how and how he can be a difference maker in the game. Because drawing penalties is one of the things he is the very best at in the entire NHL, and you don't want that to go away. That's Mike Johnson, our TSN hockey analyst on this fine Monday. A positive uh, from the weekend, MJ. <laughs> Samsonov picked up his game kind of right where he left it, or even better than where he left it ahead of the All-Star break, I guess, because he had a, a couple tough, eh, not tough, but anyways, I talked myself into a hole here, so I'm just going to keep keep going on my sentence. Samsonov had a, had a great game this weekend. Is that really encouraging for the Leafs going forward, specifically with what's going on with Matt Murray right now? Yes. Um, I don't think they're surprised. I think they recognize they can't play him too much. And yeah. that prior to the All-Star game, he was getting played too much. And his yeah. game will suffer because of it. He's not a guy who can play 8 and 9. He's, he's not. And, and very few players are. Very few goalies are now. Uh, but I think the good news is that over the next couple of weeks, while Matt Murray is still in limbo, while Joseph Wall is there and you know his American League numbers have been great, uh, the Leafs don't play a ton, period. And they don't play like back-to-back. So there is a chance for him to play most of the next four, five, six games because the Leafs' schedule is randomly staggered out quite a bit. Uh, and that's a good thing. He's a very good goalie. He's playing well. It was funny to watch him in Columbus. He talked about not feeling great. And while he played well enough to get a shutout, there was a whole bunch of times where he makes saves that are not textbook kind of structured. You know, like he's not in a butterfly. Sometimes he's got the glove, like, randomly up in the air. And he, he reads the play, and I guess he's an athlete in there, not just a, you know, a, a guy who goes down every time a puck's about to be shot. But... Um, yeah, he's going to have to play, I don't know, seven of the next ten games until Matt Murray's back. So you want him on top of it because I don't know what happens, guys, if Tampa passes Toronto. Toronto's been in second for so long. Boston's been so miles in front. They've kind of been on an island, even though Tampa's creeping in behind them with games in hand. It never, they've never passed them. And I wonder what happens, you know, sort of the urgency in the group because you know, they, they are kind of locked in. They have been for about a month and a half. Uh, to their matchup for sure, but almost it felt like home ice, and that's sort of up in the air. And I wonder if that changes the urgency if Tampa does in fact jump them in the standings at some point. What 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 would that change? Like going out and getting a goalie, or no, just, I just playing him more. I, I think not 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 for Sam's not playing. I mean more just the attention of the team in these kind of dog days of the year, and nobody gotcha. wants to hear about not paying attention, but. 
it's a long year. And in January and February, it, it, there are games kind of blend into each other and you're on the road and you're just grinding them along and you're too far from the start of the year. You're not close enough to the end of the year. You're just grinding. Yeah. And the good teams are better at it than the mediocre teams. But the Leafs have been basically 500 now for what? Like 17, 18 games? So, um, you know, I think snatch, you know, snapping back to attention when Austin gets back, which probably will be in the next week or so, um, you know, they just, you just get, you just get you call it more concentrated. You're more focused on the way you're playing every single game, or you try to be. And I think the Leafs probably could use an uptick in that focus because this is what you're seeing: like some good games, some not as good games, some mostly good moments, but some some odd breakdowns at the inopportune time, at the wrong moment, and that's what's hurting them. And I think some of that might be almost helped by, you know, Tampa really pushing up on them and saying, "Okay, if you want home ice, you got to you got to play better." Yeah, that's fair. Dog days of the season, and, and got to take that into consideration. But is one of the like underrated, disappointing parts of that lapse of focus on Saturday the fact that Joseph Wall was really left hung out to dry? Yes, yes, for sure. Um, we all like storybook endings, Julia, and and it'd be nice to say, yeah. well, we got a a young guy here, and we want to support him, and we're gonna play hard for him because we care. And like, I guess that's kind of true, but it's not really true. Like, we all care about each other. But, like, you know, I'm going to block a shot, play as hard as I do for Matt Murray, as I do for Joseph Wall, as I do for Ilya Samsonov. So um, I don't think it's personal. But I also don't think there's, like, a personal massive motivation. Well, Joseph Wall's your boys. Let's really win one for the Gipper. It's like, you know, he's a good player. He's going to be in the NHL someday. Um, We're going to try hard because that's what we're supposed to do. But I don't think the emotional attachment to somehow do it for him exists. And that's not surprising. Johnny, how much longer do you think we got to wait till we finally see uh, Chikrin's landing spot? It seemed like something was close <laughs> well, happening on Saturday, and, and now it's, it's you know, radio silence. Is it always darkest before dawn? I don't know. It feels like it's going to happen soon, right? And, and yeah. um, I don't know. Is it L.A.? And L.A. had the Dustin Brown thing, and I get if, it's, if it is L.A., you wouldn't want to do it on a day where you're celebrating Dustin Brown with a statue and the whole bit. Which is another conversation. Dustin Brown has a statue outside the building. I that's, like that. That's magic. <laughs> that's Shaq, Kobe, and Dustin, and Dustin Brown. Like I know he's a captain oh. and a very very good player, but he's not like remotely what those. Anyways, this is conversation. It's awesome. But, no, yeah. I, I remember getting into <laughs> this conversation. So awesome. I think was it last year that they announced that was happening. And I remember getting into this and being like that. Like uh, Dustin Brown, he may mean a lot to that team. He was captain for multiple Stanley Cups, but. There's a difference when you look outside of, of, to your point, Staples or I guess Crypto.com or whatever now. Like, there's a difference between the guys who are now on their Legends Row and their <laughs> version of it outside that arena, and then you've got Dustin Brown with a Stanley Cup. It just, you know, one doesn't really mix with the rest. You know? I love the idea of it, though. Like, I love the idea of some random L.A. resident walking down past the statues. Oh, no idea. Who is that? <laughs> Caveman among among these other players. Yeah, I guess you know you got Gret and then Dustin Brown. You're like, what is it? Just you know, one of these things is not like the other. But good for him. But back to the original point: if if LA is going to do that deal, um, if they're interested in Chikrin, and I think they are, as a lot of teams should be, um, they wouldn't want to do it in the you know the day leading up to the day of, or maybe the day after. But now they could probably get there. So if he's not playing then there's obviously something imminent because 
you know, you don't want to sit a guy out for three weeks waiting for the deadline. I, I don't. I think mean, what's the longest we've heard of a guy getting sat out for trade reasons? A week? Like, I don't yeah, remember not, anyone not being really more than a week. So he's he's three weeks out. So it's got to be pretty close. Yeah, you would think. Well, so it was funny though because then there was a lot of. I think Bruce Garriott put out a report saying that Edmonton and Toronto have stepped up in in their efforts to uh, uh-huh. to talk at least to acquire Jacob Chikorin. Like, do you think that would be? I don't know if you want to call it the missing piece, but if that's the big add, and to this point, it's I mean, it's still an option. He hasn't been dealt uh, anywhere else, so it's still an option for the Maple Leafs. Would that be the big add that would make you happy at the deadline if they were to acquire Jacob Chikrin? I think you'd have to be delighted to add him. And plus, he's going to be around for a little while, so it's, you know it does help you going forward beyond this year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of where he would fit in. Left shot guy, I guess. You know, if you're going to have, is he going to play second pair defense to push Geo down to the third pair? Is, is it Morgan Riley, Chikrin, Giordano? Probably. Does that push Sandine out of the lineup? Or does Sandine go the other way? Who knows? But, um, yeah, like, he would be really, really good. I still think they need a forward. Now, wingers, which I would, you know, they're easier to get than Jacob Chikrin. You can go get, you know, some sort of offensive support forward a lot easier. I think you would be happy with him. He's having a great year, too. He's, He's scoring at like a 65-point pace. He's scoring goals. He's playing 25 minutes, albeit on not a great team. But he would he would fit in nicely in Toronto if you could get him. I just don't know if Toronto, if it's not Matty Nyes and it's not first-rounders, like L.A. has so many high-end prospects. Like they are stacked with yeah. high-end guys, first-rounders and everything else. That I don't know if the Leafs would be able to match the, the package that the, the, the Coyotes may be able to get from other teams. Yeah, right. although, like, Matt and I, like, I was thinking about this. The Coyotes would probably value him next to Toronto, maybe as the, like, one, a, a higher value than maybe other teams would, being a local Arizona kid. Uh, his teammate, Logan Cooley, is an Arizona prospect. Right. Like, that that would make sense if they want to bring him into the fold, and that's one thing that Toronto could offer that other teams simply just couldn't. That's a good point, for sure. I don't know how much Matthew and I's, like resonates in Arizona. Like the Coyotes aren't getting an uptick in ticket, ticket sales because Matthew Nyes is on the team. He's not Austin Matthews yet. But I think the Logan Cooley connection, the local connection, maybe makes him a more attractive prospect than, let's say, Alex Turcott of the Kings. Right. You know what I mean? Like somebody like that. Yeah, th- that, that probably is true. Yeah. Okay, the other name on the market this weekend, CJ was reporting a little bit about the Sharks and the Oilers, potentially chatting a bit about Eric Carlson. Mm. I I don't know how they would make this work, MJ, but just indulge me for a moment. What would that power play look like? Like, I feel like it would change the world. Well, I mean, are they going to be better than the best ever? I mean, I don't know how much better they're going to get. Right? Like, the 31-5, the best power play in the last 45 years was the Islanders' early 70s was 31-9. So, like, I, I, I don't think he makes them better on the power play. He, like, he makes them better, of course. He's having an incredible year. But the power play, I don't think he's going to go at 50%. It's going to go at 30% still because that's what the best power plays can do. But, I mean, Eric Carlson, I was checking this morning. Mike, you can back me up on this. Like, this talk that, well, it's just all offense. He doesn't play any defense. No. At five on five, the Sharks, when Carlson is on the ice, they're like a plus 16. That's, yeah. a, like, that's crazy, crazy for a terrible team. And then when he's not out there, like, they're like minus 30 when he's not out there. So you think about the swing when he's out there, and some of that's driven, of course, by the goals he scores. But he, you know, it, it's not like he's just piling up points at the expense of getting scored on all the time. That is not the case. 
He's having an incredible year. Another three points yesterday. He's on pace for 110. 110 with 30 games left. Um, like, I know he's got lots of term and lots of money, but if you're ever going to trade him, if you're ever going to trade for him, it feels like now is the time when you have to do that because he's never going to play better than this. Yeah, for me, Johnny, honestly, it's it's not even the power play that I'd be excited for. It's what he could do for Edmonton at 5-on-5 five because five, mm-hmm. they've been – that power play's been unreal, but at five on five, they're like middle of the pack in scoring. So if you could yep. add Eric Carlson, who leads the entire National Hockey League in points at five on five on a crap team like San Jose, <laughs> I mean, you link him up with 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 Drysital and McDavid and Hyman and Anuge and Evander Kane. I mean, oh my goodness, this team immediately becomes you know a dark horse favorite in the West. Yeah, and given that the West so wide open, uh, even more so. So, yeah, and, you know, we talked to Ken Holland last week, and he's like, well, dollar in, dollar out. I'm like, um, I don't think so, because you're bringing in a, even if you eat four or five, you're bringing in a $7 million version of Eric Carlson. Um, are you going to be able to dump $7 million? I mean, Pugliarvi, I think, is going to go on waivers any day or get traded any day because they have to activate Yamamoto. But unless there's an injury, it does become a pretty hard deal to make um, just because you know, to move out that amount of money is, is going to be difficult. But, um yeah, it would be exciting to see him change teams. I don't know. Respectfully speaking, I mean, he wants to win. He wants to play with good players. Edmonton has both of those things. Edmonton is very different than San Jose, a place to live. You know, he does have a family now, and he has four more years. So, like, you know, would he want to take that on as well? That is a, that is a different existence for a family man and everything else. Yeah, I guess it's something to also kind of think about, but... He lived in Canada before in a Canadian market for many, many years. So right. yeah. I don't know how much different it And he, he didn't sign an extension there. So. Yeah, that's what I was going to oh, say. It uh. did seem like he loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. There was a lot of issues going on in, uh, in, in that enough. city. That's fair. <laughs> All right, Johnny. Uh, appreciate the chat as always. We'll catch up again next week. All right, guys. Have a good week. <laughs> there he goes. Mike Johnson, TSN hockey analyst.